0: I turn your attention this morning to the book of John, chapter 14. We begin reading in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how thou then sayest thou, show us the Father. Yes. I'd like to speak this morning on this simple subject, the revelation of the upper room. The revelation of the upper room. Would you bow your heads and would you join me in pray? And Lord, we are thankful for your presence and for your spirit. Thankful for your, your glory that we feel that has entered this house today. What a privileged people we are, Lord, to stand before you. We are so thankful, God. You have blessed us in immeasurable ways, Lord, that's beyond our ability to describe. I'm so thankful, God, for your presence. I'm asking you, Lord, now that you would help us as each of us deal with our own flesh this morning, that every barrier, every obstacle would be put aside and that we would be open containers and vessels, Lord, to receive from your word and from your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Everyone said amen. Amen. God bless you. you. may be seated. For all of you that are joining us by way of the internet, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a borrowed room from a friend the size of a modern living room upstairs, perhaps not used on a daily basis, outside stairs with a separate entrance. The quarters for guests, as two of the Gospels describe, were perhaps a gathering on a special occasion. It has become known as the upper room. It is identified and remembered for it is where Luke records in the first and second chapters of the book of Acts that the disciples went back to in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended and went into heaven from Mount Olivet, which the book of Acts describes as a Sabbath day's journey. The upper room was where the followers of Christ were praying when the Holy Ghost was poured out. It became known as the birthplace of the New Testament church. But the significance of this room did not start with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. Luke, who is the author of Acts, records in the gospel that records and identifies by his name that the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples before he was led away to his crucifixion was also held in an upper room. Most commentaries believe the same upper room. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 11 it says, And ye shall say unto the good men of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber?" where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples and he shall show you a large upper room furnished there make ready and they went and found as he had said unto them and they made ready the Passover Mark chapter 14 and verse 5 records the same things and he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us it would make sense that they would return to the place that they had last been in fellowship with Jesus after he ascended. I remember when we were building this facility that we sit in this morning in 1999, I can remember having a conversation with fire marshals that were inspecting the exits and the fire evacuation systems of of this facility and they made a statement that I've never forgot. They said that 90% of people will attempt to leave a building the same place that they entered it from. Regardless of how many exits are lit up today, if there was all of a sudden a fire, instinctively you would try to leave this facility the same way that you came in to this facility because we are creatures of habit. A lot of unexpected events in life can cause you and I to get distant from Christ But you have to return to the place where you were in harmony with God. The place where you felt his touch, his love, his care, his presence. I know that in some circles of modern day Christianity, it's not convenient or even emphasized that there's an altar call at the end of a service. But I'm glad at the First Pentecostal Church that this altar is still open some 51 years later. Many of you remember that you came to an altar and you said, God, forgive me of all of my sins. And it was at that place that you felt the load of guilt and pain and remorse lift off of your shoulders. I'm glad that we can still go back to that place today. For the disciples, it was the upper room, 13 people in the room as they gathered to eat. One of the 13, Judas, had already started the process of betraying the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Peter was strong in his faith, not knowing what fears were going to consume him in just a few hours, to the point that He would do the unimaginable in his own mind, and that is to deny the Lord three times. It was a moment, frozen in time, where men sat on the brink of eternity, eating and talking with their friend, and yet the stage is being set for events that would forever change the history and future of humanity. Little did they know that in a single setting, 11 of them would be so transformed by Christ that the very fact that we are sitting here today is the result of that supper in the upper room. It is apparent as we go through this narrative that there was no servant to wash their feet after walking through the dusty streets of Jerusalem as was their custom. Jesus decides that he will wash their feet because apparently none of the other disciples had thought of it or were inclined to start the process of washing everyone's feet. So the Lord took the initiative. And Peter was so embarrassed by this that he refuses to let the Lord wash his feet. Jesus says, If I can't wash your feet, Peter, you can't have no part with me. Notice the preposition with. He didn't say in me, he said with me. No part with me in reaching the world. No part with me in changing the world. Peter now sees that this washing of the feet is commiserate with being with Christ and this fellowship is so important to Peter that he says, well, then don't just stop with my feet, but Lord, wash my hands and, and my head and Wash me all over. And the Lord says, that's not necessary. We pick up the narrative in John chapter 13 and verse 10. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, And ye are clean, but not all. Now that, those last three words of that verse, but not all, is referring to the fact that not everybody in that room was clean. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. We know he's referring To Judas. But it's interesting that he says to this group of men that have gathered in this upper room that it's not necessary for you to be washed except for your feet. It's important to understand the custom of that day. You see, ladies and gentlemen, in that time, people did not have private bathing in their homes unless they were very, very wealthy, which was certainly not the common person or unless they were the high priest. When we went to Jerusalem and went and toured this particular area, we we found that there was a house that we went to that the archaeologists are 99% sure was the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And they said, how do we, how do we know this? And they said, well, one thing, it had a, a place of washing in the house. And, and that was not common. That was only the high priest where the washing was done. And so this was a, a further example of the fact that It was not something that was common in that day for people to have private washing facilities in their homes. They had public wash areas and and, and they would wash. But then as they went for supper or entered a, a house, they would then wash their feet. And washing their feet was something that they did on a regular basis as they went from different homes or different places of establishment. When they went to these places, their feet were washed just simply because of that dusty environment that they were in, but it wasn't something that they would wash all over as they would do in these other facilities on a less frequent basis. Jesus uses this little example to give a a quick lesson, as it were, on the two different ways that we, you and I, are washed on a spiritual level. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 talks about the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful that you and I can come to an altar and we can be washed by the regeneration of His Holy Spirit. And ladies and gentlemen, that is something, as the Bible records, uh, that we should not forsake as we see the day of the Lord approaching. I don't know about you, but I have found that with my own flesh, uh, I need that more often than I think I need it. And when we receive his spirit, there is a washing, as it were, of our moral character. And and I know that it's fundamental in nature and it's not something that we do on a daily basis. But I do want to pause this morning to say I'm thankful that the Spirit of God washes us internally in ways that only the Spirit of God can do. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot wash your moral character with your good deeds. It is recorded throughout the New Testament, especially in the epistles, uh, that you need that regeneration, as it were, or that infusion of God's Spirit that cleanses us on the inside. Mm. And that's what the Spirit of God does. That's that washing, as it were, of our entire nature and character. But then Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26 talks about the washing of water by his word ladies and gentlemen this is something that we do on a continual basis this is like the washing of their feet that they did as they would move from point A to point B this is what Jesus was doing as was their custom before they were to eat there was this time of purification as it were and so he said It's not necessary, Peter, for me to wash you all over. Save your feet. And this was an example that when we look at the washing of the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26 talks about it. It says that we are washed by water by His Word. We have to let Christ wash our hands and wash our feet and wash our actions. On a regular basis. And ladies and gentlemen, that is what the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God does. It is to wash us on a regular basis. In the Greek, this is referring to the ancient tabernacle where the priests would wash in the labor of water. And that labor was made out of mirrors, which was a reflection of the person who was washing We are washed by the word of God when we allow it to reflect back to us the shortcomings in our own actions and in our own nature. And when we allow the word of God to be that labor of water that washes us and and we put the word of God up and we see that we have fallen short, once again we allow the Lord to wash us and to cleanse us by his word. We respond and we repent. And once again, Christ, through His Word, is washing our feet. The regeneration of His Spirit is within us. It cleanses us from within. But the Word is outside of us. And if we are to respond to that, and if we are to look to the Word of God as the manual, as it were, the instructional guide, so that our feet, our steps, and our actions are washed on a daily basis. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how the Word of God works inside and outside. The Spirit and the Word in agreement so that you and I can live in this world but not be of this world. You say, oh, Pastor, I I feel like going through so many things in my home my family my job there's no doubt that all of us are surrounded on a daily basis of a lot of things that are certainly not of God but ladies and gentlemen I'm excited today when I look into the word of God and I'm reminded that everything that you and I need to live a life an overcoming life that is in harmony and in fellowship with God Almighty is available to each and every one of us right now, today. We don't have to wait for a more convenient season. We don't have to wait for a different dispensation in time. But everything that you and I need is available to us right now, today, to be in harmony with God. you say, well, pastor, why is this important, this groundwork, as it were, that Jesus is laying before these disciples? I believe that there is a revelation that you and I can receive from this. Because Jesus is teaching them. And this is only the beginning of the revelation. But he is beginning to reveal to them the proximity of God. The fellowship or friendship of God that the disciples would have to understand that they would have to get a revelation on. If they were going to make it on this earth without the physical presence of Jesus, they had to get a revelation. Of the proximity of God. And I believe it's the same for you and I today. If our perception of God is one of this distant, mystical being that is somewhere out there beyond the galaxies. And that somehow he is a God who is looking for a way to trip you up. If he is looking for a way to send you to eternal judgment, and if my perception is of God as a distant being and not one of a loving God that is as close as the mention of his name, then the enemy has already succeeded. In making you and I feel like that we are islands that cannot be in relationship with God. But I've come today to reveal to you and to me that the God that you and I serve is not far off on a journey. He's not out of reach or out of touch. But He is nigh to us. Oh, and I feel Him in this house today. I wonder if the people of His name would lift their hands and their voices right now and declare His glory. Jesus begins to deal with the plans of Judas at this point by saying and I'm reading from John 13, 18 I speak not of you all I know whom I have chosen but that the scripture may be fulfilled he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me Ladies and gentlemen, the lifting of the heel is an act of deception. But it is part and parcel to the eating of the bread. If you were to understand what he's referring to here, when he's talking about lifting up the heel, he's talking about something that is designed to trip another person up in a way that is not obvious to the victim. It was the lifting of the heel. It was not in the front that can be seen. But as you and I would say today, in perhaps a more modern vernacular, a backhanded slap. He says it's going to be through the lifting of the heel. But it's not just an act of deception that Jesus is describing that Judas has already started. But there's also this eating of the bread. Jesus is saying that the eating of the bread is someone who appears to be in fellowship or friendship with me. Verse 26, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. If I properly understand the Middle East customs, at a meal, the host would dip the bread and would hold it in the middle of the table. And if someone was there who wanted to be in friendship with the host, they would take the sop as a sign of their desire to strengthen the fellowship or the friendship with the individual who was holding the sop. Jesus was saying that there is one among us who is taking the gift without taking. The giver of the gift. Judas was the treasurer. He had taken many times of the bread of Jesus. But he never took the friendship of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, this is analyzing the heart of what the scripture is talking about when it talks about worldliness. Worldliness, by definition, It's taking the gifts without taking the friendship of the giver. You can't be carnal and be in fellowship or friendship with a holy God. You can take the gifts, but until you take the nature of Christ, you are not in harmony or friendship with Christ. Oh, and the flesh is so good. This flesh that you and I wear is so good at this act of deception, it is almost as if Christ is saying, if a little more bread will help Judas, take it, man. It's the ultimate act of insincerity as Judas reaches across the table and takes it. And then we read the grim words, then Satan entered him. The sin of our day, ladies and gentlemen, is taking the world without Jesus. Taking all of the gifts of this life without giving thanks to the giver. Jesus said, my bread. Ladies and gentlemen, it all belongs to God. The food that you ate and the food that you will eat today, it all belongs to God. Every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights. That's why we say, not just this week, not just on Thursday, but every day that we draw another breath. Thank you, Lord, for saving So the question that all of us must ask of ourselves, are you going to take the gifts and not acknowledge the giver of the gifts his bread his wealth his talents all the gifts that are before us all of the times we reach across the table and we take of the sop but yet our actions betray him because we are not in fellowship With Him. It begs the question, how do we go into a place of fellowship with Him? I believe through the revelation of the upper room, the way that you and I are in fellowship or friendship with Christ is when we make space for Him. Is when we prepare a place for Him. The flip side to this is that the essence of holiness is spending time with him. Being in fellowship with him literally means taking on his nature, learning his ways. Jesus was exposing Judas for several reasons. One was that the other disciples would know that Jesus knew the heart of Judas And that he could tell the difference between a genuine disciple and a false one. But perhaps more importantly, he is showing the 11 disciples that if they are going to be in friendship with Christ, uh, they are going to have to commit to Christ. And not just live with him, but allow him to live in them. There's a lot of people that are wanting to know of Christ, but to know him for yourself, you have to ingest the way, the truth, and the life. Mm. Hallelujah. And the contrast in this chapter is the exposure of Judas and the exposure of Peter And the difference between them. Because one of them made it and one of them did not make it. It is already being revealed in the actions of Peter. After he was reproved and rebuked for the whole washing of the feet issue. Peter draws closer to Jesus. But Judas, on the other hand, puts more space between he and Jesus and slips out into the night. Ladies and gentlemen, it has everything to do with the proximity of God in our life. And this revelation is about to be revealed in the upper room. They both had flesh that would fail them. They both underestimated the depraved nature of their own flesh. They both had a crisis that was before them. But one drew closer and the other backed away. We are all faced with the frailty of our own flesh. And sometimes repeated mistakes drives us into despair. But the difference, ladies and gentlemen, is found in whether we draw closer Or drift further from God. Peter's resolve is about to crumble into the denial. And into eventually despair. But ladies and gentlemen, he did not give up. As news of the resurrection of Christ is spreading around the believers. It is Peter who is racing to the tomb with John to verify the news. But there's no way to find out what happened. At this point, in the heart of Judas, perhaps Peter recovered and repented because he stayed in the upper room long enough to get the revelation. Even after Jesus had rebuked him, not once, but twice, Peter is still there. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, there's something about just staying there. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when the Word of God has reproved us and rebuked us, uh, I will not slip out into the night. Uh, Who else are we going to go to? It is only Jesus that can satisfy our soul. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. The answer may just be in the next sermon. It may just be in the next service. It may be on the next page of Scripture. It may be in the next devotion or in the next prayer meeting. If you just stay close enough. There's a revelation that's coming. There's a word that's coming. I know, I know we're interrupted with the number 14 as a new chapter begins in John but can we read it as it was originally written before chapters and verses were added we pick it up in verse 36 of chapter 13 Simon Peter saith unto him Lord whither goest thou Jesus answered him whither I go thou canst not follow me now look at this little phrase but thou thou Shall follow me afterwards. In the midst of all the rebuke and all the correction. It's kind of tucked in there. But there's that little light of hope. You don't know what's all going to happen. You're not going to be able to follow. But you're going to follow me afterwards. Would you hang on to that one statement and just put that in your brain for just a moment? Because I want to pull it back out in a second. Verse 37. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock, the rooster, shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. Oh. So you got to read it straight through. Yes, Peter, you, you've underestimated your flesh and you never thought you would go as far as you're fixing to go in a few hours. But let not your heart be troubled. Oh, I feel like God is telling somebody that right now. You don't realize what's in front of you. You don't know what's next week or next year or next month. But oh, I've come to give you a word today. You may stumble and fall, but you don't have to quit and you don't have to give up. And be encouraged today. Let not your heart be troubled. In the same breath that he announces what Peter is going to do. He says, let not your heart be troubled. In Luke, he tells Peter that he prayed for him. That his faith would fail not. Peter. The Lord tells him, I, I prayed for you, Peter. That your faith would not fail. Part of this revelation ladies and gentlemen, is the fact that God not only makes provision for our sins and our mistakes, but He also makes provision for our faith. That it fail not. Because He's not just the author, He's the finisher of our faith. He's a God that's helping me every day that my faith would not falter. He's a God that's making provision for me by preparing a place for me that my faith would not fail. Mm. I continue reading verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm thankful for the fact that he has an actual place, that he has actual space for us. But there is a place. That we are with him. And that is a place that we can be in on this side of glory. Verse 4, and whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is saying there is a place that I've prepared for you that involves you and the Father being very close in the proximity of God that is fixing to be revealed in the minds of these disciples. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, the way is the plan it's the path it's the teaching of Christ and no man cometh to the Father but by Jesus he is the way not one of many ways but the only way and he is the truth he is the word he is the Holy One of Israel that forces us to confront the weaknesses in our own flesh through the reflection of the washing of his word he is the way and the truth He goes on to say in verse 7, If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him. And have seen him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not in reference to a theophany from the Old Testament. This is referring to Jesus. You have seen him. Who? Truth. The truth of who I am. He's referring to the Father so much that Philip is compelled to ask the question that we read in verse 8. Lord, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. And ladies and gentlemen, what happens next is beyond my power of description. Jesus looks at them. Don't you know me? Don't you know what is going on right now? I've been with you a long time. The very words that I'm speaking right now is the Father. You're sitting next to Him. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, showest the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work. Ladies and gentlemen, it's awesome as these humble men discover that they have reached the Father. He was sitting across the table from them. What a moment. What a moment! This is the climax of what John had said in the first chapter. The Word was made flesh! The Father in flesh! This is more than just the semantics of some theological discussion of the essence of God. This was a revelation! God sitting in the upper room incarnate in Christ and suddenly it explodes in their hearts and minds with revelation they had already reached the Father the distance of heaven and my Father's house is swallowed up in revelation God is near God is close God is here. I've come to preach to somebody today. There is a revelation in the upper room today that God has not distanced himself from you. He is nigh unto you. Mm -hmm. Would you stand to your feet this morning? They had to be stupefied. They had to be overwhelmed. No one had ever been this close to God. Ladies and gentlemen, just because you are sitting close to someone, it does not mean that you are close to them. Some of you are sitting very close to somebody right now. And while you're sitting close to them in physical proximity does not mean that you know them. To get to know the Father. Jesus was telling them close proximity is not enough. Not by a long shot. Yes, He's the way. He established the path. Yes, He was the truth. the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth but it didn't end there you have to know the life he said I'm the way the truth and the life God had brought them close but he was fixing to get even closer Because as the truth, he was with them. But as the life, he was going to be in them. In the same room, I believe. And in just a few days, the way and the truth would become the life. Through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. The holy life of God. They had to get this revelation. Because Jesus was fixing to go through a trial and a crucifixion and a resurrection and a time of confusion. That he knew that would test their faith. And then eventually an ascension that would take him back into heaven. But oh, my disciples, if you can get this revelation, I can hear him telling them. Not verbally, at least in his spirit. If you can get this revelation. I'm not moving to a distant location, I'm gonna get even closer. Oh my friend, He is truth. He's the answer to every chain of questions that mankind has asked throughout the history of all humanity. And He not only speaks truth, He is truth. Personified. Mm. Everything else is measured by Him. He is the way. He is the only way. And yet, He has prepared a place for you and I where we can be close to Him. And He would abide in us. And we in Him, the word here, if you go back and you look at the Greek meaning, the word place in this chapter literally means a place of abiding. Yes, one day we're going to be in heaven together. But what are we doing right now to make a place of abiding for Jesus? He was going to go away so he could come again and bring the very life of God into human beings. We can be in fellowship with him through his spirit, even in the weaknesses of our flesh. What a God. What a revelation. It was this revelation that changed the world, and it is this revelation that changes the heart's Of men and women in the 21st century. God is nigh unto us. Would you lift your hands right now and would you lift your voice? My, I feel him coming close right now. Speak it, Brother Milton. all over the building this place needs to become a place of worship in the altar, in the pew in the aisles, all over this building I'm calling on the first Pentecostal church to lift up your voice right now And declare your allegiance and dedication to God. Abide in this place, God. Abide in this heart, oh God. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. One more time.